President, Lord, this is Brother Julius Adiwumi. We are going through the teaching through the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm now in chapter 6, where the Lord was teaching. It was actually the Sermon on the Mount, is what we call it. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So in my chapter 6, we are going to start. I go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through these books. And read a verse or two, and then pause and give some comment. And I pray that the Lord will give you insight as we do this and understanding to be able to do what the Lord says and then just do the word. Okay. And as I give the comment and exhortation, I pray that the Lord will give you the understanding to be able to comprehend it. And as we go. Here we go. Gospel of Matthew chapter 6 is where I'm at. And in chapter 6, it is all teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ called the Sermon on the Mount. He said, take heed that ye do not your arms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your father which is in heaven. Arms means giving up something. If you give, give somebody a gift, a help, or whatever way, don't try to broadcast it. It's what the Lord is saying here. So that you are not receiving your reward right here on earth. Whatever good thing you do, let it be your reward is in heaven. Verse 2 said, Therefore, when thou doest thy arms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. That is what whom are you trying to impress? Is what he's trying to say. Are you impressing men? Or are you trying to do things for God's sake? And then if you are trying to impress God, don't announce it to men. And God sees what you have done, whether it's quietly, secretly, and God is going to reward you openly. That's what the Lord said in all his teachings here. He said, if you have, so that you don't, you mean that you may not have glory of men. He said, verily, I say unto, the, unto you, they have their reward. But still, he said, but when thou doest arms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. That's a very interesting Way the Lord put it, He said, "Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing." That is almost so. Even though they are so close, they are all both on your body, but you don't tell the left hand so that it will not be glorifying men. That's what He said. He said, "Don't let the people know. Let not your left hand know what your right hand is doing." Same. Perfect way of describing keeping things secret. <laughs> that's because I cannot keep my left hand secret from my right hand. That's exactly what the Lord is trying to say. It's a parable. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Verse 4. That thy arms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Praise the Lord. You know, the Lord Christ is the word. So he can bring forth words that are eternal. And he has brought us some of those things in his, way, in his teaching for us that we are, we are, we are excited to, to learn from the Lord, the master, the master of words. Now, verse 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Very I say unto you, they have their reward. 
Now, prayer is what he's talking about here. And he said, if you are trying to do it to be seen of men, so it's then really your motive is very important. Motive is what God judges. You see, where, where I was praying quietly, somebody opened the door and found me. Does it mean I should stop quickly? No, it's not really saying you should stop because somebody opened the door and found you praying. It's simply saying, what is your motive? Those people that you was referring to, they pray to be seen. And they stand in the, they stand in the synagogue and really play loud so everybody can see that, oh, they know how to pray. Sometimes you may not know how to conjure words together, because even we address that in the next video, I said, don't pray and try to conjure words together. Just talk to your father as you will talk to your earthly father. And that is what he says in the next verse, verse 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which is yet in secret shall reward thee openly. That is saying, don't try to pray in the open space where everybody can see you just for, for them to see you. The same thing is going to address fasting also. It's going to address every other thing here. So that we are doing it to, to please God. We are trying to approach God. We are trying to seek God, not seek men. So that's why you don't try to broadcast it. You just do it between you and the Lord. But when ye pray, this is the prayer part, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. For the things that they shall be heard for their much speaking. I remember one time I was trying to pray and I hardly could say some words. I just almost like just bless. And people thought, gee, this man does not know how to pray. And the other person took over and bring words and words and words and words and words. And we said, well, wow, they said, that's a, that's a prayer. <laughs> the authority is what God needs. Authority, not a lot of words. So that's why he's going to say, he said, when you pray, use not vain repetitions, as the hidden do, for they think that they shall be heard, for they are much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. So God knows what we are going to ask already, before even we ask, he said, but you still have to ask, of course, you still have to ask. If you are going to conjure words together, you conjure words of praise, praising him, praising with every word you can form or formulate in your heart, in your mind, telling him how great he is. No matter how words you can use to describe it, it's still not enough. But you can figure all this one out in print. But when you now begin to ask your request, don't begin to call thunder and lightning to perform your enemy and see if that. No, God will say, don't be doing that. Just ask your request quietly. And God knows what you wanted to ask anyway. But you see, you can bring forth words of praise that will raise heads of anybody. Let it be words of praise to God. That you can, you can bring a lot of those. That is very important. That's useful. That's, that is acceptable. But you say, when you are praying, don't use vain repetition. Repetition is what you are asking for. Don't keep asking because you become unbelief anyway. Now, he's going to teach us some format of praying in chapter, in verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we try to, die, to, to, to break down this prayer in a moment because he started by saying, hallowed be thy name. When you want to start your prayer, First, praise the Lord. That's what Allo be thy name summarized what he's trying to say. Allo be thy name is praising him. That his name is to be hallowed, to be honored, to be exalted. And that is praise and begin to praise him more with words. Before you. And then the next verse he said in verse 10 Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That is his next priority. Lord said, first praise him. The next thing is to talk about his business. 
God's plan, God's business is his kingdom that he wants to come to be established upon this earth. That is that you are thinking of God's business for before you think of your own business. And his business is to, he said, if you pray that his kingdom should come. His kingdom is already in our heart now that he is ruling in our heart when you are believers. But he is bringing the final kingdom that will be ruling on this earth. Not just in our heart, but upon the world. That is, the governments of the world will be overthrown and the kingdom of God will now be the will now be established as the government of human government ruling human beings on this earth. That is kingdom that we are waiting for, which is kingdom of Christ, when Christ shall come. But this kingdom is already in our heart. Every person that accepts Christ, he says the kingdom of God is within you. It starts first by taking us over individually, leading our life, controlling our life, making us to be holy, making us to be righteous, because only the righteous people can live with God. So that is where his kingdom starts. So he said, pray that his kingdom come. So when you pray that way, start from saying, let your kingdom take over my life. Let your kingdom take over my family members. Let your kingdom take over the hearts of all people that we accept him. When we are all taking over, we are now all serving Jesus, and we are walking in his path, then he can come down, take over this kingdom of this world, because only holy people will be living on this earth. So that's why he said, first talk about his kingdom before you talk about your business. So that's why he said, you pray that thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on heart as it is in heaven. See, heaven, God is ruling in heaven. And he's ruling upon all people in heaven. Because on this heart, because he left to mankind, and men have messed it up, and they are no one obey him. So God is saying you should pray that his kingdom come and rule on earth also. That's why he said, thy will be done. His will be done in this heart as it is done in heaven. So that is our prayer. And that's the, that is the heart of God. So yeah, the first thing is to praise him and then pray about, pray about his heart to be fulfilled here. His plan to be fulfilled here. That is how he says it's almost like a format, a template for prayer. First, praise him. Second, talk about his kingdom to come and be fulfilled here on earth. Then the next thing he says, Well, now ask for yourself. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Why did the Lord say a daily? That is, don't say, I will just ask for one year, then I don't need to pray for the next one year. No, God wants you to work with him day by day. See, when you work with God day by day and he's leading your life day by day, that's when you are pleasing unto him. That is when you are acceptable. Because Enoch walked with God. Walking is a, is a daily thing. So we have to walk with God every day of our life. Not like I will, I will see you next year, Lord. And then you go and do your own thing, which you fall into sin. No, he wants you to walk with him day by day. So he said the same way. Give me today my bread today. Tomorrow you ask again. Next tomorrow you ask again. So that he is dealing with you day by day. It's not talk, talking about where, what about I need food or stock pilots. For the next season that's coming, do I need to plan about that? Yeah, in a way, God is saying that you can plan about those ones, but see, it is still day by day you are talking to Him so that He's leading your life. If He leads your life and say, put this one aside for the day, day that's Him leading you also. So the Lord wants to lead us day by day. So we say, give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12 says, and forgive us our debts. Now the Lord put that because it's part of everything He has taught us is that when you ask for yourself, Anything for yourself from the Lord, remember forgiveness is what mercy is what God is using to answer us. So you have to ask for forgiveness and that you also forgive others because it is when you forgive others that God will forgive you. And then when you forgive others, God will be now obligated to give you what you are asking for. He gave the same thing when he was talking about the about faith in Mark chapter eleven. He said, When you desire something and you pray about it, believe you receive them. And you shall have them. And when you start praying, 
forgive. So forgiveness goes along with asking something from the Lord. And that is the same format he gave in this Matthew about prayer. Immediately you ask for yourself that give us daily our daily bread, say, forgive our debts as we also forgive others. Because yeah, he's going to forgive you only if you forgive others. So the forgiving others is the first thing, and then you automatically will forgive you. As to say, forgive us our as we forgive our debtors. Now, when you see debtors, as he's talking about those who offend me, they are debtors. That's what he's talking about. You know, those who just owe me money. You see that type of a debt, or they owe me money. Should I not ask for his back or so? He's talking about anything, anybody that offends you. Which we say, well, this man offended me, I won't forgive him. That is what he's talking about. You want to forgive. He's not talking about somebody borrow you money and he's going to pay you back. But you should just not ask, accept it when you bring it back. Of course, it's a good, a good mindset that he say if you, somebody borrow, you don't even ask him again, but let the other friend that borrow money bring it back because he also is offending God if he doesn't bring it back. Because the Bible says in another place, the book of Proverbs or Psalms, that the wicked borrow it and pay not again. So the one that borrow money, if he is not paying back, he's classifying himself as the wicked person. Even though the other person you borrowed money from does not ask you, hmm, you better pay it back because you are putting yourself as the wicked. And there are many causes on the, in the Bible about whoever is a wicked person that causes upon him. You don't need to pronounce it. It's already there. It is something written in the Bible that if you are borrowing money and you don't pay it back, you are wicked. Which means then, anytime you read the Bible, it says about the wicked, and your mind remember that you didn't pay that man back. When you were paying back, then you already say you are wicked, and then that causes upon you that is wicked. That's why we have to be careful about the word of God and pray that, Lord, help me to obey your, your word. The word of God says the wicked is one that will borrow and not pay again. But you give the we that are lenders, say, don't even ask back. Don't even ask back. Now that's something that if the man bring it back, you know, I'll take it, unless you want to freely give it to him. Okay? But he's saying, the wicked is one that will not bring it back, that will not pay it back, because he's not going to ask you, you just sit on it. No, that's not the way the Bible is, the word of God, the life of God is. The life of God is that we that are sins of God, we better obey the word of God. You won't say even better not to borrow. No, so. It's the wicked that will borrow and not pay back. So remember that. So when I say, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors, it's not talking about the borrowing money. It's talking about somebody that offends me, forgive him. That's the debt. Verse 13, I say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, all, from evil. Now, lead us not into temptation. That, that assumes that God is the one to lead us. Because the Bible says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We are expected to all be sons of God. We'll be led by the Spirit of God by listening to Him, guiding our life, and then we follow His guidance. But now He says we should just pray that lead us not into temptation. Will God lead us into temptation? To te as far as God is concerned, what we call temptation is no temptation at all to Him if we are if He's holding our hand. But many times we 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 tremble when we see the temptation. Temptation is not just temptation to sin. Anything that is going to make us cause. Offend is a temptation. Even if it's just quarreling and fighting, it's temptation to 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 be to misbehave. Also, even if you are driving your car and you run into a, a, a place where there are too many cars, everybody is yelling at one another. That's a temptation to start a, to be angry. It's a temptation. It's a temptation to offend. It's a temptation to, to get angry. 
But God can lead you away from that road so that if you listen closely, the Bible tells you, don't go on this road, go through the other road so that you avoid that traffic jam that is going to cause you to be tempted. So that's a good prayer to say, lead us on into temptation. God is expected to lead us, but we are to pray that lead us on into temptation. He said, now, but deliver us from evil. So whatever is evil that is in the, in the way, whether on the, on, the, on the road or coming against us, deliver us from it. Because those are, those are things that will naturally occur. If, we, if the Lord is not on your side, you might fall into those evil. But if the Lord is on your side, we are praying that deliver us from evil. Even before any evil showed up, pray that Lord deliver us from evil. So that is the format of his prayer. Now, if you know the particular evil you are talking about, you can then speculate, call that evil and say, Lord, this is a sickness, deliver me from this. Or this is a lawsuit, deliver me from this. Or evil things, deliver me from that. that that's now... Not a general. You specifically point out what you are going through. Lord, deliver me from this, Lord. So that is what this prayer template is giving to us. Lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, he now the Lord now wrap it up with another praise to God. For thine is the kingdom. And this kingdom we are talking about, the kingdom of this world belongs to God. And the power and the glory forever. Amen. So after you start by allowing his name, then you talk about his kingdom. To come, praying that his kingdom be established upon the earth, his will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Then you ask for yourself what you need daily. And then, then you have to say, but forgive us so that we, as we forgive others. That is reminding you that forgive other people so that God can forgive you. And God will give you what you ask for by his mercy. Because you have forgiven others, God will definitely forgive your sins and then give you what you ask for by his mercy. Then he said, now pray that you lead us into temptation because you are expected to be led by the Lord as son, as children of the Most High God. But pray that he lead you not into temptation. And but deliver you when the temptation already taken hold, deliver me from this evil. Which you can name the evil, but this is a general template. Okay? Deliver us from evil is a general, but if you know the evil you are talking about, like, hey, somebody just wanted to run to your car or start a fight, can they are trying to take a gun and begin to shoot somebody that is angry at you. No, you Lord, deliver me from this evil. So those are all evil you can really name by name, mention by name. Then after that, you now wrap it up with another praise. Die is the kingdom of God, die is the power of God, die is the glory of God forever and ever. Amen and amen. So that is a good template. Many times we don't need to be praying. No, I know that in some of the churches where I used to be, we Catholic, you just echo this prayer as if that's all you need to say. This is a general template. Our Father, which has never hallowed be thy name. And every, in many of those churches, they just say that. But it's a template for you to know how to pray. So in this manner, in this manner, therefore pray. So then you use that template to first say, before I start praising, then talk about his kingdom. As the legend says, seek it for the kingdom of God. That's why you talk about his kingdom to come and be established upon Before you ask for your daily bread. And then remember to forgive all people that offend you, so that God can forgive you and answer that daily bread you ask for. And then he said, but now also remember, he is to be leading you daily. So pray, but just pray that lead me not into temptation. Because he's leading you daily, but you pray that lead me not into temptation. But deliver me from all evil, evil that has already showed up, as his Lord is leading you. Because you, he has, you have been, maybe you didn't listen, he has, he has, he has, you have run into a temptation. But then pray, deliver me from all evil. Then you wrap it up with that is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. That is a good template of prayer. Let's continue in Matthew chapter 6.
Here we go to verse 14. And the Lord now we was, was expatiating about this forgiving business that he talked about so that they may really clearly understand why he put that one there. Verse 14 says, For if he forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. See what I just said earlier? God wanted us to live in love, walk in love, and forgiveness is part of love. You forgive them, they offend you, forgive them. See, it's showing love. And Jesus Christ continued to expand. You know, they say, if you forgive men, they are trespasses. So now it's trespasses, what he says, he doesn't say they are, they are, they are loan. He's not talking about the loan that you loan somebody. Because you all use debtors in the, in verse 12, does not mean he's talking about monetary loan that you loan somebody that forgive them. And don't take it back. No, it's not talking about that. It's talking about trespasses. They offend you. They call, they do something that make you angry. That's what he's talking about. He said, if you forgive their trespasses, your father also will forgive you. All our trespasses is not money we borrow from God. No, it is all the misbehaviors that we do or not that is trespasses. Trespass means you, you go beyond your boundary. That's what it means, trespass. When they say no trespassing, it means that this house, you don't want visitors to just come in without invitation. No trespassing. Which means don't go out of your bound. That's, that's your boundary. So when you trespass me, you go out beyond your boundary. God has set boundary for all human beings. What we ought to do, what you ought not to do. So when you trespass me, you go beyond your boundary. The same way if a, a neighbor, a family member can go beyond the boundary against you. And then he trespass against you. Either he just say some bad words that you, you wish he had not said something like that because he's, he's insulting. That's what we call insult, not how dare you say that to your father? That will go insult. I mean, he got beyond this boundary. So that's called trespasses. But then you forgive them, and the father also will forgive you for all trespasses you have done. You also have done. Now, verse 15 says, But if he forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Verse 16. Moreover, when ye fast, now don't go talk about fasting, because these are all principles of people that want to follow God. Principles of spiritual principles that people do, practices that we do. When you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may, they may appear unto men to fast. Barely I say unto you, they have their reward. Well, he's talking about the fasting. I actually have preached some of this in some other sermons, as you can find on my website. Now, when you are fasting in the city, I mean, in a regular city, maybe three days, four days, seven days, this is very applicable because you, you don't want people to know that you are fasting with a sad face and say, what's happening? I'm fasting. Which we, we all did when we were all growing up. They said you should do it. Particularly, don't disfigure your face so for people to know that you are fasting. But something about thou, when thou fasted, when thou fastest, when thou fast, anoint thy head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now, this is a good point, and I try to point out that when you are fasting in the city, it's very important for you to do that. When I say in the city, I was in college one time, with, in the college when I was uh, my, in my 20s, and I was fasting, and I started the fast, and I still have to do my lab work. In computer lab, I still have to do my homework. People could see that I was getting lean, but 
they should not have to see my face as frown face. I couldn't tell. Or I, we try to avoid people if you are going to be fasting long fast, of course. But this, anytime you are going to fast within the city, of course, your family members will know. If you have a spouse, your spouse will know that I'm going to fast for the next two days, three days, four days, five days. So that they don't prepare your meal. You can't refuse to eat. And they say, what's wrong? And you, I, don't, you, I don't want to tell them. That's not going to, you just won't work out with a, if you are a child and you have a, your parents with you, and you are adult perhaps, or you have your wife or you have a husband, you can't just stop eating and don't tell them. You have to tell them up front that next weekend I'm going to fast. And you are going to start, if you are going to start tomorrow, you tell them tomorrow from tomorrow to you, so, so that I will be fasting, so don't prepare my dinner. Or if you are the one that is preparing dinner, I will be fasting so I won't be eating with you on the table. And you still have to prepare the dinner, or of course, if you are the one that is preparing the dinner, you have to do that. You see, that is part of not letting them see your candle as this frown face. Well, because I'm fasting, I can't prepare your dinner right now. Because I don't want to smell the food. Who's going to prepare dinner? Well, you help yourself. <laughs> That's not going to be good enough for a family that depends on their, maybe their mom to prepare dinner. What about this year? Nobody's going to prepare food for them. Or the father will have to take care of it. And that can start a quarrel also. That is why it is something that has to be done not not with a frown face or confrontation like that. It has to be done with wisdom when you want to fast. But now if you're going to fast a long fast, that's what I'm trying to lead to. A long fast is like the one the Lord Jesus Christ did. 40 days, 40 nights. He still did it with the same strength. People thought, oh, he did it supernaturally. No, it's not supernatural. Many people have done that in this generation. I did 20-something days. But you have to plan it. That's called jungle fast. I mean, days and nights means you, know, you don't eat at all. Not the one you, you miss breakfast and lunch and then eat dinner every day. No, that's not the one. That's, that's, not, that's called a partial fast. That's not the fast that we are talking about. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't do dinner every night. The Bible says it was there days and nights. When they say days and nights, means he didn't eat dinner. And that is called 40 days, days, days and nights fast that the Lord Jesus Christ did. Many people have done that, even since that generation. Many people have done that, even in my generation. Yeah, I did 20-something days. Actually, I was going for 40, but somehow I stopped around 28. And I knew some people that said they did the 40. And I mean, that means they were, but of course, we were drinking water. You have to know the difference between fasting and uh, hunger and thirst. In the book of uh, Letters of Apostle Paul make us see the difference. There is the fasting and there is the hunger and thirst. You can't do hunger and thirst without water at all. You can't do that for 40 days. The Bible reports that Moses said he did that for 40 days. We don't know, maybe it's by supernatural way God intervened. But without water at all, I don't think you can last for 40 days. But with water, you can last 40 or 50 days. Just ordinary water, not juice. If you are drinking juice, which is really food without, uh, without strong, not strong food, but if you are drinking juice, apple juice and orange juice, that is becoming partial fast. Which moments can do that, and it will still be classified as fasting because it's apple. Daniel said, I do not have, I did not eat any pleasant meal. That's like you don't eat pleasant meal, the regular food. But that will not be classified as a full fast like the Lord Christ did. Drinking ordinary water for 40 days, you will be skin and bone at the end of the 40 days. Very skinny. But see, when you want to do such a long fast, what I'm alluding, alluding to is, you need to go to a jungle. Camp somewhere, camp somewhere. Where it is just you and the animals. That will be camped in that jungle, and then you can fast for as many as... 40 days, because when you finish that fast, even by the time you are getting to 20-something days, you will be like a skeleton. 
and you don't want people to see you in that state as a skeleton, they will think you are sick, they want to rush you to the hospital. No, sir. And you will say, no, 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 they will be calling the ambulance on you. So that is why you want to camp. You can say, I can do it in my house, just lock myself in the door. Well, you can do it in your house. Even in the city, lock yourself up, nobody come to visit you, anybody ring the door, you don't open the door. You are just alone in that house. Right? What about your family members? Maybe you already told them they will know that. They won't be saying that, oh, where is uh, daddy? Oh, he's in that room, they can't see anybody fasting. They will be telling people we are fasting. So that's not the way you want to do it. You want to go to a jungle, like Kralogis did. That's why he went to a jungle and fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And then after he finished fasting, then he could come down, ready to eat with them. But he was going to come out of that fasting, lean, skinny, almost ugly, is what you call it. Because when I fasted 21 days, 20, just 21 days, half of the world, I was looking like a skinny, skeleton, skin and bones, and people thought I was so ugly. Oh, yeah, of course. We're not looking at faces, basically. They say, this man is so ugly, nobody will talk to, talk to him. That is the point, that Christ, when he finished the fasting, 40 day fasting, he will look ugly. All the bones will be showing. And then he started preaching. So people will want to run away when they saw him ugly, but he just healed somebody there when they want to move closer. That's what our Isaiah was saying. When we look at him, we, 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 we hide our face from him because of the fasting. It's what the Isaiah was seeing in the vision. So what we are saying then is, when you want to do a long fast, go and camp in the jungle. After you finish your fast, then come back to the city and begin to do what you want to do. Otherwise, there's no way you can wash your face and anoint your head and they won't know that you are fasting. We are long, you are doing long fast. That's what I'm trying to say. But when you are doing three days, seven days, I did seven days and nobody noticed. I, well, the seven days I was still going to my lab and doing my work. But I was drinking water. You have to remember that. That's why I distinguish between fasting and hunger and thirst. I tried hunger and thirst many years when I was just in the college. I stopped at, at the sixth day. I couldn't bear my throat was dry. I just have to drink water. So I stopped. I wanted to do seven days on Gantas, but because I already heard that you can do fasting with ordinary water, I said, no, I will do on Gantas without water first. But in my mind, psychologically, I, after the fifth day, my throat was so dry that I couldn't even spit out. And then I said, well, I better go drink water. So I started drinking water from the sixth day and the seventh day before I completed that seven day fast in 19. I think 1974. So what I'm saying, that was in my beginning of a fasting lifestyle. But see, that's why I knew that hunger and thirst can, I don't think you can last for 40 days without hunger and thirst, unless supernaturally God did intervene. But you can do hunger only, drinking ordinary water for 40 days. Some people have done that for 40 days and they didn't die. And those who, who died at the 58th day and so on because they wanted to kill themselves, 40 days is the max that the Lord showed in the Bible. So in verse 18, it says, Thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father which is in secret, and thy father which sees in secret shall reward thee openly. So that's about the fasting. That's why I just said, if you want to do long fast, camp in the jungle. If you are doing simple three-day fast, two-day fast, one-day fast, seven-day even, you can do it in your house and just reduce your labor. Because if you are laboring, you still do some laboring, you will be fainting. But if you just reduce that and finish your fast, after seven days you can you'll be okay. That's verse 19. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth. Now God is talking of something here. He's not just talking of something else. Lay not up for yourself treasure 
treasures upon earth. What is treasure? What are you storing up? Your food, your gold chains, your 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 silver necklaces and so on that you store up and they cost a lot of money. If that's what you are investing your money into and you are storing it in the safe, in the safe, safety, safe deposit box somewhere, you say, hey, you are laying up pressure here or not? Where moth and rust don't corrupt, what's moth? All these, uh, what is it? All these uh, spiders, they get into wherever you think you have said so these are more, and they put all the assumptions and say it corrupts it. Everything you are trying to store here on that, the heart is not going to be able to even keep it for you. It can get rusted, so that's why you say it's corrupted. Even thieves can go in and break into it and steal your, your treasure. So it's, no, it's, not, it's not wise to be trying to stockpile things for yourself here or not. And he said, but lay, verse 20 said, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Now, moth is the thing that grow upon things that you store. Let's say you store food and a little moisture, you begin to see all this algae growing on it, that's the moth. And then it suddenly mess up your thing you store. Whether it is food, even all those gold and all those necklaces, if the moisture gets on it, you suddenly see that the color of that uh, gold suddenly becomes tarnished because algae is growing wherever they find moisture. That's why they say the moss is corrupting it. So why are you trying to store things here or not? Yeah, but lay up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt it, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For no, no thief is going to break through. So how do I get my treasure into heaven then? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, how do I get my treasure in heaven? He has already told us that. When you give to the poor, the Bible says you are lending to the Lord. That's another Bible verse. He that give it to the poor, you are lending to the Lord. Say, well, give your money to the poor, help the people. What the help you give for now, even the gospel, you are sponsoring the gospel with your funds and your finances. You are sending your money, your resources to heaven also. Because the, the gospel you are sponsoring, is trying to get someone to reconcile men with God. And we are commanded to reconcile men to God. That's the ministry he has given to every believer to save souls. So when you see a major, a major minister that is doing that on large scale, like we are doing, when we are on radio, we are on television, we are on books and so on, we are trying to reconcile men back to God. Then if you participate and sponsor some of those, or send donations to help sponsor the gospel, you are also sending your money up. To heaven. That's why you. That's one of way. And then what you do in your neighborhood, helping the the poor, helping the needy, you are also sending your resources and your your treasure to heaven. That's what the Bible has taught us. So where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Somebody say where your heart be, that's where you are going to put your treasure. Like if your heart is in heaven, you want to invest in heaven also. And the, the other way is, well, say where you put your heart, your treasure, your money, that's where your heart will be. If all your money is in a bank and you hear that the bank collapses, you you panic, run to your bank. No, so that's where your heart is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. If you put all your gold, you buy, some people say, go buy gold coins. That's where to save money. Gold coins, silver coins. And where are you going to put that gold coins? You put it under your bed or you go and put it in another safe deposit box in the bank where your heart will be there. Your one million dollar gold coins is in that bank. If you hear that something's happened to that bank, <clears throat> <laughs> that's where your heart is. That's why he said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. 
So put your treasure in heaven. Verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thy eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. If thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? He said, our eye is, is their light, so it's more or less giving us a parable that let your eye be single, that it be focused on what you want to do. Focus, especially on things of God, then you, you'll be full of light. But your eye is evil, means you're always pursuing things that are wrong. That is darkness. Darkness is anything evil. Verse 24. The Lord is going to give other teaching here. He said, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the spirit of money, money making. That is, that's all you are pursuing, how to be, become a millionaire. How to become a millionaire. If you invest, you see, you'll be serving money. Everything you are taking is to serve that money, to make sure you get the money, to make sure you invest this way. You say you can't serve money and serve God. You'll be holding to one and despising the other. God wants you this way, but the money is saying, hey, you better invest. You better do that. You have no time for that. You better do that. But see, that's why I say you cannot serve God and mama. You seek God, if the kingdom of God first, and the Lord is going to address that in the next few verses. Verse 25 says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What ye shall eat, what ye shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Now, that verse 25 is, is, uh, is interesting. He said, don't begin to worry. When you take note of simply be, don't be, over, don't be worried. Anxiety is what he's talking about. Don't be worried about, how will I get the next food? How will I get the next food? He said, God is going to take care of that if you seek first the kingdom of God. Because that's where you're going to wrap it up. Verse 26 said, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, Neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? The Lord was comparing us, our life, with the, the birds that are flying everywhere. He said they are not even reaping, they don't even sow this thing, the, the food is there, they just go get it. And God is providing for them without them storing something up. Say, oh God is saying, Are we not even better than that? But so he said, which of you, by taking thought, that is by being anxious, anxiety, panicking because of what you don't have, can you add one cubit onto your station? See, we cannot do that. And why take it thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, all these flowers. How they go, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. That is, with all the good golden dress that Solomon could, 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 was, was able to buy in those days or spun out. He said, it's not like the one that God just gave to those flowers. Just look at the rose flower. Two beautiful color, different color, and the feathers, they all come in different shape. And you wonder, wow, well, magnificent. The designer that designed all these flowers. And that was their glory. God actually gave a glory to Adam that Adam lost. So we are not just like this naked. Something was covering all that perhaps could have changed color, you know. He said that we are not too, like that we are not we are, we are to seek that. That's what we be seeking. Verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, 
which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven. You may say, well, all those grass and so on, why spend so much time making a great design for these flowers, for this grass, for these leaves? And every flower, every tree comes with their own flower, different color, different shape, beautiful, and the musk and this uh, butterfly go there and pollinate them. But you see, God designed these things and put a lot of a lot of intricacy to design as a way. Something that you go to cut, people are going to cut it down anytime soon. Temporary things. Why put so much effort in that's how we human think. And Lord is saying, God put so much decoration on those flowers that today is air, tomorrow is thrown into the oven. If God put so much effort to make that one beautiful like that, how much more we that He wants us to live forever. So He has planned something for us, that's what Christ is saying. And he said, Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little feet? Verse 34 says, Therefore, take no thought, don't be anxious, anxiety, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, or the, the, world, the whole world is seeking these things. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. The Lord knows we have need of all these things also. So if we seek him first, he will take care of the rest. Verse 33 is the summary of what the Lord is saying. But seek ye first, first, not that you will seek the others, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's the prayer that he says you pray. Thy kingdom come. And he said, not just the seeking, not just the kingdom, and his righteousness. What does that mean? And the kingdom of God's righteousness. That is the right way to do things in the kingdom of God. That is the righteousness. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is, for you to get this blessing, you should be behaving like this. That is the righteousness of the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God to come and rule in your life, you mean that you, as, you ascribe to behavior like this. That is the righteousness of the kingdom of God. So he says, seek, those king, those, seek the, first, the kingdom of God first and its righteousness. The, way, the, the right way to do things in the kingdom of God is what is terminal, is what is what he meant by his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. That is then the Lord will add all the things we need unto us when we seek for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Verse 34. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. Don't think, take thought for tomorrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now that's a principle that will help us in the Christian life if we will make sure that we don't get too, too much anxious about things we are planning. And even if you are planning for tomorrow, make sure you put God in the equation. And because there's another probably where just said, a man that didn't put God in his equation and said, I'm going to just tear down my bar and build a bigger one and store all these things and then rest and, and he didn't put God in the equation. And God said to nine, they your soul will demand it from you. Who then own all these things that you just store up? But put God in the equation. Acknowledge God in all your ways. And the Lord will direct your path. So tomorrow will take thought of itself. If you don't be anxious, say something, you need something for tomorrow. Let's just wait till tomorrow. God will take care of you. Don't panic. Don't let your heart panic on things that you're still planning for, for the future. You may worry about your life safe for the rainy day. That will be things that you, the Lord will give like little for today. If you don't say put something aside for tomorrow, or really late, they put it aside. It's leading you day by day. Because if he gave you one million dollar right now, it didn't mean you should go and spend that one million dollar today. His wisdom will tell you that way. 
what do you need for today? I only need 1,000, okay? The remaining position is stuff somewhere, not so. Part of what God gives, wisdom. It's the same God that gives us this instruction, gave us wisdom. Think of the story of Joseph in the Bible. God gave him the wisdom to tell Pharaoh and the people of Egypt that said, there's going to be seven years of plenty. And of course, when people get plenty, they waste it. It's natural for man to waste it. They eat so much and then they don't know what to do with the rest, just throw it away in the trash. And many people are still doing that in America right now. There's so much surplus in America. And there are so many things in the waste basket. But God is warning. Most Solomon, I mean, Joseph in Egypt gave them that wisdom that during that plenteous time, we need to save at least 20%. He won 50. Because he has seen that there's a diet coming for another seven years, there will be famine, that all the plenty will be forgotten. That people will be dying because they look as if they have nothing there. And say, well, let's save one fifth. And then they save one fifth. Joseph saved one fifth for Pharaoh and saved them for seven years. With wisdom God gave to him, he was able to save them for seven years because it would have been corrupted also. But he was able to save it for seven years. He was able to save it for seven years so that he, when the seven years of farming started, he was able to start all of to to save the old people. But that is planning also. That is planning. So God give wisdom to also plan. So when you say, don't worry about tomorrow, that is, don't be panicky and sure that make you not to be able to pray right. Just ask the Lord for guidance and God guide you and say, put this one aside when you're having the plenty, put it aside. But don't put your heart in what you put aside, just leave it there. Your heart is with the Lord. And when the panicking, they just remind you what you put aside, then you use it also. But this is your heart for the Lord. Very important. We are going to continue this in the next chapter. God bless you.